patriots welcome back to living with liberty your source for common sense and truth bringing you insight from outside the mainstream i am your host ryan today i have democrats panicking in florida biden trying to rally democrat operatives ahead of the midterms the saudis making fun of biden behind his back and behind closed doors and an update on the potential for a rail strike next I'm living with liberty. Democrats are in a full-out panic mode. We are living through a generational shift in the politics of this country, and painful as it may be, we are starting to see the results of that shift. And it has the Democrats and their legacy media sycophants worried. So much so that the Associated Pravda had to run a story titled, A Swing State No More? GOP Confidence Grows in Florida by, well, it's by three people, because apparently that's what it took to get enough brain cells firing to write a coherent story. This piece is by Steve Peoples, Adriana Gomez-Lison, and Brandon, Brendan, sorry, Brendan Farrington. Now, what I found funny about this obvious propaganda piece is the tone of those uh, writing it and of the left that they still don't get why the politics of this country are shifting, why the Democrats are in so much trouble. They, they don't get it. And this piece is obvious that, that the left does not understand what's happening in this country. They don't understand what we want from a church, call it a traditional American value standpoint from just an American culture standpoint, they don't get it. So I find it funny that even though the polls would take them with a grain of salt, but the polls have flipped in many cases toward the Republicans running in those races for house Senate down to state governor level, state house level, whatever it may be dog catcher, the polls have totally flipped. The Democrats are upside down in polls that traditionally favor Democrats. We always know that there, uh, there there's always some sort of a margin in there that's uh, with a sample size that probably favors Democrats a bit. Uh, the sampling is not right on them. They don't do a real great job with that. And even with all that, Republicans are within the error of margin to leading significantly. So. This piece, I mean, it's just ridiculous, I guess, and, and uh, how it's written and what they're trying to get across. So let's let's shred it a little bit, shall we? So the first cut from this piece here says this. Democrats are increasingly concerned that Florida, once the nation's premier swing state, may slip away this fall and beyond as emboldened Republicans capitalize on divisive cultural issues and population shifts in crucial contests for governor and U.S. Senate. The cultural issues are the Democrats' own doing. It's this refusal to run away from the nonsense. They've continued to allow the fringe, the fringe of the party. Let's be honest. We all know Democrats. We all know a lot of moderate Democrats who we can have a conversation with. They're not the ones dictating the Democrat Party policy. It's the fringe. It's the ones that the leftists, the socialists that are patting Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and whoever else on the back because they, they lack so much self-confidence in, in what they're doing. They 
just do whatever the, the those patting their back tell them to do. That, that, that's who's dictating the policy. That's who's dictating that the Democrats do not shift away from the policies that are obvious in everybody's face, obvious failures. That's obvious that most Americans don't want. The, this fringe is outside the bounds of what everyday Americans expect, and that's why the Democrats are so out of touch, because they refuse to accept what everyday Americans want and expect. The vast majority of Americans do not live on the fringe. They are centrist. We're a centrist nation. I think, you know, we like our Constitution. We have those values that we want to see continue that are laid out in our com- our Constitution. But we realize that society progresses and that things aren't always the same, that they don't, you know, from especially from a social standpoint, there things change, right? Different things become acceptable. Some of them, you know, still not acceptable, whatever. Some things that were acceptable aren't. You know, we're ready. We're willing to have the conversation and go with the flow on that. And if it makes sense, you know, we'll accept it. So most Americans, I think, are in the middle. They're they're centrist. We we love our country and we want to see it uh, succeed and survive. Right. Th- this whole thing with the Democrats' social, you know, socialist party here is they don't understand that. They don't care about that. They're only interested in power. Now, here, here's the thing about, you know, Americans and, and the centrists. The vast, uh, vast majority of Americans give zero craps that an adult male wants to play Susie dress up or what consenting adults of the same gender do behind closed doors. We just don't want something that goes against nature constantly jammed in our faces as something that's normal, constantly shoved down our throats that we have to accept this. I don't care what adults do. That's their decision. I don't have to agree with those lifestyle choices those people are making, but I'll still respect them and accept them as a human being created in God's image. It doesn't matter to me. What that's between them and God, what they're doing with their life. I don't care. I don't have to agree with it. And I'm not necessarily going to vocalize to them in their face that I don't agree with their lifestyle choices. I just, that's up to them. They have to deal with that, not me. So I don't care. I'll still respect any human being that isn't being a jerk and isn't jamming something down my throat, telling me I have to accept it, especially when it goes against nature. It's that simple. Democrats are worried about Florida slipping away. They should be. They should be worried about this. They're the ones out of touch with the voters. They're the ones that caused this. They're the ones that have caused Florida to swing. Part of it is is the ridiculous policies and the ridiculous kind of social construct that the Democrats want. And part of it is the the people fleeing places like New York and Illinois and California. It's it's typically not liberals moving out of those places. Some of it is because they, they don't want to live there anymore because the policies they voted for obviously aren't working and are finally impacting them, so they're getting out of Dodge. And then they go and ruin another state. But by and large, it's conservatives are leaving those states, going to, you could call a sanctuary state, a Florida sanctuary state for conservatism. Sure, why not? They're going to these places. And Florida has a high Hispanic population, and, and those Latinos are traditional in their beliefs, generally speaking. Their, their, their beliefs and culturally, their 
by and large conservative. And many have now awoken to the fact that the Democrats want to destroy their traditional beliefs. They see that the Democrats are not for Christianity, that the Democrats aren't for traditional values of two genders, etc. And that, in part, probably a bigger part than people moving there, is what has Florida swinging hard to the Republicans, swinging hard to conservatives. Now, if Democrats pulled their head out of their ass for two seconds, they'd realize that Hispanic people do not know what Latinx means or find it incredibly insulting and offensive. I saw someone, a Hispanic guy, uh, in a video say, yeah, it's like 97% of us don't know what it means or find it insulting. We don't care. It's stupid. Stop it. And the Democrats keep doing it. The liberals keep saying Latinx and whatever else they want to come up with. Stupid. That's why they're losing these coalitions, their supposed coalitions that they had. To show how out of touch Dems are with the people, uh, I have a statement here by Val Demings, who a de- Democratic congresswoman from Florida, who is, uh, I guess, running again. She runs, she's um, in the House of Representatives here. So she had this to say. She said, we have to do a better job of telling our stories and clearly demonstrating who's truly on the side of the people who have to go to work every day. And what story would that be, Val? That white men are evil? Is that part of the story that all white people are white supremacists, that everything's white supremacy if it goes counter to the narrative? That Trump supporters are terrorists? Is that the story you got to clearly demonstrate and tell? Or is it that it's perfectly normal for grown men in miniskirts to be flinging their wang around in front of kids while those kids stuff dollar bills in their waistbands? Dems are on the side of the working individual. Someone should have told Biden that because Biden's build the national debt plan included a tax increase for everybody. And that's that's even left-leaning Think tanks that have analyzed this thing and said, yep, everybody's taxes are going to increase. Inflation has shown no signs of abating. And not one Democrat has been able to articulate a plan to control spending and stop the inflation. They just want to spend more money. They keep wanting to spend. They keep flushing money down the Ukrainian toilet. Dems have been more concerned about Ukraine's border instead of ours. Our crime is out of control. Dems in those cities that where crime's out of control show no uh, inkling to do anything about it. I'm not sure what message Demings is thinking needs to get out there or, or that they're having trouble getting out there. It's pretty clear because actions speak louder than words. And every action that the Democrats have taken show that they are an American people last party. They're putting the people last. They've showed that over and over. So what, what messaging issue do they have a problem getting out there? They're not for the working person. They're not for the average American. They're for those that want hierarchy in society. They're for corporate masters. They're for their international masters. They're for their deep state masters. That's who they're for. They're not for the American people. Their message is about giving Americans, everyday Americans, the double middle finger each and every time they do some sort of new policy or want some sort of new policy. They give us the finger, every working person in this country, they're giving the finger to with every action they take. Okay. Some of you may know I'm big into music. I love music. uh, And that my musical tastes run the spectrum of genres and that I'm not 
really big on the assembly line pop sounds of today, especially in country music. I like a more traditional country music, uh, even a little rockabilly, you know, a little rock tinge to it's fine. But the the auto-tuned synth pop almost country music today, just it isn't for me. So I'm always looking for something unique, but it, I don't always have time to go searching for it. So that's why I go to the At Liberty Country channel on YouTube to see what's new and unique in the country music space. Now, Renee is a true music connoisseur and gives a fantastic rundown of outstanding new and old country songs that are off the beaten path. Ones that don't get played on the radio because they're not top 40 hits or whatever, but they are still fantastic songs. And actually, in my opinion, and a lot of times Renee's too, they're a lot better than what's on, on those top 40 channels. So if you're a music fan, especially a country music fan, head to Renee's channel on YouTube at Liberty Country and subscribe today. Okay, on to our next story. Apparently, Joe Biden is making the rounds, rallying support for the loser Dems in the midterms. I have a story here titled Biden's Midterm Argument. Look at the Alternative by Chris McGarrian. Now that's, that's a pretty strong argument there, Joe. That's, uh, and that's how this old doddering old fool rallies people. He just goes and tells them, hey, look at the Alternative. You know, worse than you're screwing up the country, but go look at the Alternative. Now, I suppose old Joe looks at dinner alternatives like, uh, oh, I have liver and onions tonight, even though I could have steak. That's kind of what he's saying here. here. You got liver and onions on one side or you got steak on the other. What are you going to choose? Now, this is another AP story, so of course it's laced with propaganda, even though the title might suggest that they're going to poke fun at Biden for this kind of take on, hey, uh, don't for, basically don't vote for the other guys. They're terrible. Look at, look at the alternative. Look how awful they are. They want law and order. They want economic freedom and, and prosperity. They want people's uh, rights to be respected and... and uh, and the Constitution to be respected and enforced as law as it should be. So, so don't get hung up on the title here. It's an, it's another propaganda piece, and it's some of this is just absolutely laughable, which we're gonna we're gonna dig into here another of uh, a little bit here. So I think what's telling uh, about this, the first thing that's telling about this, and we all know this, Biden has not been campaigning with the candidates out there. Not like, you know, Trump and DeSantis have been out there with candidates. Those candidates have actually asked uh, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis and other prominent conservatives, prominent Republicans to come campaign with them. That's not the story here with Biden at all. But they've told Biden to stay away. We don't want you anywhere near us. We've seen them all be noncommittal when asked about it. So in light of not being able to go out on the campaign trail with, um, with you know, the the Democrats running in this cycle. He's going around to talk to Democrat volunteers, trying to rekindle their spirit, trying to kind of give them some hope, if you will, I guess. So here's a first cut from the piece. It goes like this. With Republicans increasingly confident about victory in this year's midterms, midterm elections, President Joe Biden dismissed the polls in a speech at Democrat Party headquarters Monday, saying there's still time for one more shift that will help his party. If we get people out to vote, we win, Biden said to scores of Democratic organizers who cheered and chanted as he entered the room for what he called his closing argument. So if we get people out 
to vote, we win. If we get people out and figure out how to get the mules running ballots again, we win. That's what he's saying there. Anyway, so I want you to notice a couple things here. One is how McGarrion put into t- the story how organizers cheered and chanted as Biden entered the room. Did they now? Was this more like, though, for those of you in the movies, so you, you might know what I'm talking about here when I go through this. Uh, if you don't, go look it up. Uh, so is this more like a scenario from the last scene of the movie Ishtar, where Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty's characters finally get their big break, they get their record deal, they get a big performance in front of um, military rank and file. It's like the closing uh, closing scene, basically, of the movie. They're given this concert in front of the military, the military's, the, the rank and file folks, because they're not good. Just spoiler alert, their performance, their their music isn't good. But the rank and file uh, kind of had this look on their face of like, what are we watching? This is terrible. And you've got the officers going around making sure everybody's clapping and cheering Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty's characters because there was, um, <laughs> because this is basically given to them because the CIA screwed them over and they had to keep them quiet somehow. That's probably what we have here with Biden entering the room. Democrats don't even cheer and clap for this guy. Are you kidding me? Why even put that in a story? Well, you put that in the story because, like I said, nobody cheers this fool when he goes anywhere. But you put this in the story to make it seem like there's a lot of enthusiasm behind the Democrats. Now, you're telling me I am supposed to believe that low-T Joe here enters a room and he's got all the charisma of a moss-covered rock and people hoot and holler for him? Are you kidding me? Get out of here. The only reason they are, uh, or they were, I should say, cheering for Biden as he entered the room is someone enticed him to do so. They gave him an Amazon gift card as they entered the room or something. I don't know. But they're... They, no. How many times have we seen him on the campaign trail with his 12 people at, the, at his rallies in there, sitting in their hula hoops? How many of those people cheered? None. They're just sitting there because they got paid to sit there. I don't buy it for a second that he enters a room and people are cheering for him. Give me a break. The only reason to put that in there is, like I said, you, you make it seem like he's popular. That's the only reason you write it there because most you don't have a lot of people. I don't know if there's any video of this out there, but you don't have people... You know, there's only a select few that were in the room there that know what actually went on. So you can kind of embellish a bit. You know, maybe people politely clapped. He is a president after all. But to be outright cheering and hollering like someone just hit a walk-off grand slam in the bottom of the ninth inning, give me a break. Now, there's another part here I want you to, to notice, and that's how the crowd was described as scores of people and not dozens. Now, a score is 20 it's a base 20. I don't know how many average people actually know that a score is equal to 20, but you use the word score. It sounds like, Hey, it's a lot. That sounds like a lot scores of people. That sounds like a lot. So they use it instead of dozens. And we know how much a dozen is. Well, 12 eh, dozens. eh, That doesn't sound too uh, like there's too many people there, but Oh, scores, scores of people. Wow. We got a full stadium here. Now my observation about this, It's more puffery from the legacy media to make it sound like the Dems have more support and energy than they really do. Now, to illustrate this, my town is about a 60-40 split, conservatives to liberals. 
So we got, you know, we're, we trend, it's probably, that's a pretty healthy margin, 60%. So we're, we're fairly conservative town. I can count on one hand, this cycle heading into midterms, how many houses, one on one hand, how many houses I've seen around town with signs supporting democratic candidates. I can count that on one hand. Usually there's a pretty healthy smattering around town, especially in the main traffic areas of people with signs supporting Democrat candidates. I can count that on one hand. That tells me there's not a lot of energy behind the Democrats. Your reasonable Democrats are fed up with the party. They're not supporting the radicals. They are running. And if your area is like mine, uh, we do have some radicals running. So even the moderate Democrats are fed up. They see what a crap show the number the Democrat party is. Now you expect me to believe that scores of people showed up to listen to low T Joe, that there were just all these people just waiting with, with on, on edge of their seat for Joe to come and, and breathe life into their campaign to pump them up, give them full energy. This guy couldn't even, uh, he saps energy. He walks into the room and he saps energy. He's not bringing any energy at all. He doesn't leave people energized when they leave a room, when they leave a Joe Biden speech. He's a drainer, man. Now, you think about this, again, getting back to this enthusiasm point here. Look around your town. It's the best indicator of any enthusiasm for a party or candidate is sign placement. And right now, the way I see it in my area, Dems are embarrassed. They really are. And then we have McGarrion trying to brush off why Joe isn't stumping with candidates. And you'll get a good chuckle out of this one. He said this, Biden has largely steered clear of traditional campaign events around the country in favor of speeches where he tries to frame the stakes for voters. But Joe Biden couldn't even frame a picture. How is he framing stakes for voters? Oh, we'll go back. Oh, it's... Do, you know, the, look at the other guys, your alternative. Look at your alternative. That's how he's framing it for him. Here's what you get. You know, look at the crap show I put together or you look at the alternative of the ultra super mega MAGA white supremacist Republicans. Hey, Chris, Chris McGarry, nobody wants this corrupt, decrepit old man near their campaign. They have enough of an uphill battle as it is with the absolute mess the Democrats have made of the country, of the economy, of foreign affairs. Pick something. They've been an absolute disaster. And Joe Biden, as a de facto head of the Democrat Party, because he is a president, is the one that takes the blame. And rightfully so in this case, sometimes presidents get too much or not enough credit For destroying the country, Joe Biden deserves all the credit because that's all he's done. He's not pumped the brakes on anything. So these these candidates, these Democrat candidates, have enough of an uphill battle as it is. They don't want Joe Biden anywhere near their candidate. He's toxic. He's not steering clear. It's just that nobody's invited him to come speak on their behalf at their rallies or whatever, or they just told him outright, pretty much privately, but outright don't show up. Biden is more toxic than that three-eyed river fish that in the Simpsons opening. That's how toxic he is. He's more toxic than that river. In his speech, Biden accused Republicans of mega MAGA trickle-down politics to the extreme. This trying to brand, I he should just give it up already. Nobody's, it's a joke. It just becomes a joke. Everything this guy says is a joke. So there'll be mega MAGA shirts all over now, I'm sure. 
We've gone from ultra to mega. What's next? Like Supreme? I don't even know what's after mega. Supreme MAGA? I don't know. This is, the the well is dry on that, Joe. It was dry when you had your, your little commission that you took six months to come up with, with ultra MAGA. And people made a joke of that. It's, you, you, I don't get it. You keep going back to this and nobody cares. It's a joke. It's a joke to Republicans, a joke to conservatives. And it's becoming a joke to Democrats. Nobody cares. What they care about is actions and results. They don't care. This division just doesn't cut it anymore. People are done with this stupidity. Joe Biden and Democrats have no answers to inflation. They have no answers to fuel prices and bringing them down. Joe's been caught in another quid pro quo by the Saudis. When you have nothing of substance, you resort to name-calling and trying to push some iteration of a branding attempt to get people behind you, and it's not working. People want to know what the Democrats are going to do about inflation, about uh, fuel prices, about food prices, about our borders. People care about stuff that impacts them. They don't care about your political pissing match. And then there's this beauty from uh, Joe Biden. He said this. We, the Democrats, are the ones that are fiscally responsible. Let's get that straight now. Are they? I guess Biden doesn't understand how budgets work. Do we have a balanced federal budget? Nope. Last time I checked, we didn't. We're still printing money and spending it, and I wouldn't exactly call that a fiscally responsible action. We're sending money we don't have to Ukraine. That doesn't sound fiscally responsible to me. Everything this guy says is a lie. Everything out of his mouth is a lie. And unfortunately, there's a bunch of one-track minders out there that are like, yeah, Dems, they're, they're fiscally responsible. Yeah, they've got good ideas. What? Everything they've done has been a disaster. What world are you living in? Now, of course, this being an AP propaganda piece, McGarrion had to end it with this. You got to open it with this and you end it with this. After his, uh, McGarrion wrote this, after his speech, Biden shook hands with Democratic workers and took selfies with several of them. As he walked out, they chanted, let's go, Joe. Is McGarrion sure they weren't saying just go, Joe? I find it unreal at this point that any media outlet out there is still trying to prop up and rally around this corrupt dementia patient. I find it equally unreal that the media also wonders why their credibility ratings continue to slide further in the toilet. I continue to find it unreal that they see their their credibility ratings sliding further in the toilet and they do nothing to correct it. They do nothing to to try and tell the truth. You know what? A little self-awareness would go a long way with these buffoons. If you're listening to the audio-only show and your platform allows for reviews, please give us a five-star review. It helps others find the show. Whether you are listening to the audio version or viewing on Rumble or YouTube, hit that Rumble or Thumbs Up button. The more interactions we have, the more the show gets into the recommendations made by the algorithms, and the more we are able to spread the truth. Next, I have a red state piece here written by Bob Hodge about the Saudis poking fun at Biden behind his back. Yes, it's the same Saudi Arabians who Biden went to hat in hand to beg for oil, and it's the same Biden that no one supposedly Fs with. 
The Saudis apparently like to poke fun at the weakness and incompetence of the U.S. president, specifically their uh, leader, Mohammed bin Salman. So this from the Red State piece by Hodge. He wrote this. Now a new report from the Wall Street Journal reveals that the Saudis not only thumb their noses at the president on the world stage, they privately mock him and make fun of his numerous gaffes behind his back. Uh, Saudi Crown Prince bin Salman, the kingdom's 37-year-old day-to-day ruler, mocks President Biden in private, making fun of the 79-year-old's gaffes and questioning his mental acuity, according to people inside the Saudi government. He has told advisors he hasn't been impressed with Mr. Biden since his days as vice president, so that's going back a ways. And much preferred former President Donald Trump, the people said. So (laughs) that can't sit well. Uh, too well with the uh, quid pro Joe here. <laughs> ben Salman didn't like him as vice president, doesn't like him as president, and he much prefers Donald Trump. So uh, who who doesn't blame? I mean, who would blame him? I mean, I, I think we all uh, prefer the bad orange man to the senile plagiarist. I wonder how many other world leaders would much prefer Donald Trump over Joe Biden. And we should take a poll. I don't know how many would it publicly... Uh, publicly uh, express that, but we could take a poll anyway. And it's honestly, it's not surprising uh, that Bin Salman has a distrust and dislike for Biden. Oh, Joe demonized the Saudis too on the campaign trail in 2020 when he said this. Uh, Biden said, under a Biden-Harris administration, we will reassess our relationship with the kingdom and U.S. support for Saudi Arabia's war in Yemen and make sure America does not check its values at the door to sell arms or buy oil. (laughs) So again, it it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that the Saudis said, screw you, we're cutting oil production by double what we said we were going to. Biden promptly checked whatever values we supposedly had at the door when he went to beg for more Saudi oil when gas was five bucks a gallon. Average. I know it's still five bucks a gallon in certain places and for certain grades, but when the average, overall average, was five bucks a gallon, he's over there checking values at the door, begging for oil production. Nobody takes this guy seriously. World leaders have long memories when you state uh, publicly that you're going to threaten their security and whatever relationship there might be between the countries. They take that very seriously. It might be political rhetoric here. We might brush it off and say, oh, yeah, that's just the regular political BS. World leaders take that seriously. And that's why I, you don't see public statements like that from campaigning uh, officials, except for this idiot. Bin Salman remembered what Biden said on the campaign trail and acted accordingly. We threatened to end our support for Saudi Arabia's war in Yemen, and they end our access to reasonably priced oil by cutting production by double what they thought they said they were going to. It's a tit for tat. They know this administration isn't going to greenlight any new new oil production domestically. So they have us over a barrel here, pun intended. Yet this doddering old fool thinks he's the dictator of the world and can go in and beg, or more recently just make an overtly political move and statement and directive in telling the Saudis to keep pumping oil or no more weapons. That Bin Salman has been keeping the criticism behind closed doors is commendable. It shows some restraint, I suppose, on his part. Now I wonder, though, I wonder how many other stories now are going to come out 
about world leaders poking fun at Biden behind closed doors. How many how many leaks are we going to see now that this story's out that uh, you know France uh, Macron's you know not a big uh, Biden guy thinks he's an idiot and you get some officials speaking. Uh, we already know what like Putin thinks, but you know some of these other world leaders. Uh, I wonder how many stories will be leaked here. You know what's happening. You know what's happening behind closed doors all over the world. This may be just the first one of many stories leaked about how world leaders poke fun at the incompetence of the American president. All right, finishing up for today. It seems that the Biden regime was premature in touting their win, let's say win, of getting an agreement between the rail unions and railroads. Now, friends, this has a potential to be ugly. I know I covered it a few shows back about how, you know, the, the there could be a strike on the rails and, you know, we'd figure it out. It would make a mess of things for a while. I, I You know, I still stand by that. I mean, the, but the agreement that Biden touted as a win, this agreement between the railroads and their unions that this, the regime negotiated, still had to be voted on at that time by union membership. And the indications at that time were that some of the unions, this was tenuous at best as to whether the rank and file membership was going to, to ratify it or not. Now, there's 12 total unions that were being negotiated with at this time. There's 12 total unions uh, working within the uh, railroading. Uh, Six of those so far have ratified that contract that was negotiated. Five had votes in coming weeks. And there's one union, though, one, the Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way Employees that rejected the offer. They're looking for better sick benefits. They want seven days of paid sick time. Seems reasonable. I mean, I worked in a blue-collar job for a while. I got way more than seven days of paid sick time. Now, the railroads, uh, on their part, are signaling they are not going to give any more uh, concessions in the contract negotiations. So the bottom line here is there's a very very real possibility of a strike. Would it throw supply chains into chaos again? Yeah, it'd be tough. We'd, We'd have some issues there. Would there be goods moving by rail uh, that would be moving by rail get switched over to trucks? Yes, shippers will adjust, Um, but there will be delays. You'd see trucking capacity shrink again. It's been growing because we're in a recession. I don't care what anybody says. We're in a recession. Just look at the the trucking um, uh, indexes. They all keep dropping. We're we're seeing more and more trucking capacity open up. So we'd see trucking capacity increase again or uh, decrease again uh, as as we shift uh, from uh, rail transport to to truck transport to get stuff moved around the country to warehouses, whatever. We'd see a lot of delays. We'd see we'd see shelves starting to empty out again. Would prices be impacted? Further inflaming inflation? Yes, absolutely. Particularly for commodities like oil, lumber, grains, anything that's bulky, anything in bulk that comes in those big, um, you know, tanker cars that you see if you're at the at a railroad crossing, you know, it could be oil, some some of it's grains, grain hoppers, things like that. So uh, big, big uh, box cars of lumber. Um, so you would see uh, inflation further inflamed for that. And it, of course, trickle down into the economy because those things are inputs into other things that we buy. Now, if there's good news, and if you can call it good news, if there's any good news in this situation, it's this, that the earliest a strike could happen is November 19th. Uh, there's a cooling down period, I guess, 
uh, until then. So the earliest that uh, that um, we could see a strike potentially, not saying that it's going to happen, but potentially would be November 19th. So what that means is most, if not all, of the major shipments for the holiday season have already arrived. We're seeing inventories. I'm reading about inventories growing. It's That's part you know, of the good news. There's a lot of inventory out there, but as we know, it's not going to last long, especially if there's a rail strike which stops movement of goods. We've seen that happen when we shut the economy down. Now, the bad news here is that the strike, it, again, increases prices. It will. Without a doubt, it will. And it will cause supply chain issues, which, again, you knew that. But it'll be well into the new year. And it's going to depend on how long it's, this potential strike lasts if it comes to fruition. Now, I would estimate that if it happened, if there was a strike, it shut down the rails and we start moving everything by trucks um, to get everything moving uh, again back to relatively normal state. You're looking at three to six months after the end of any strike. So whatever, whenever it ends, if they, they go on strike and, and they resolve it quickly within a couple of weeks, impacts minimal. You know, you're probably on that three-month end, especially if rail traffic comes to a screeching halt. You're probably on that, uh, that three-month end. But if it goes on for any length of time, you're looking at, could be upwards, I'd say, of six months after the end of the strike. It just depends. Depends how low supplies getting at the shelf and in the supply chain and how much backlog there is on the rails in terms of rail cars, shipments coming into port, et cetera. So it's, it's going to have an impact, certainly will have an impact. Now, the biggest impact that we, we should keep in mind here, and I'll close with this, the biggest impact of a rail strike, from and it's from a food side because that's probably the most important. Lumber, eh, fine. I mean, most of us aren't building houses every day. Oil, that's kind of a biggie. There's not much you can do about that, though, to mitigate the impact of that. It is what it is uh, in terms of oil. The biggest impact to us is from a food side. It's the grains. The grains go into a lot of things, cereal, bread, et cetera. So I recommend keeping an eye on the progress of, you know, any further negotiations that happen between the railroads and the unions and just be prepared. Buffer the best you can on those grain-based items because those are those are going to be the ones that probably cause the most pain for us because it's impacting our food supply. Being prepared for a disruption is the best way to avoid and mitigate a disruption. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for tuning in. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living With Liberty Outfitters. Lastly, I'd be so grateful if you shared, subscribed, and left a positive review of the show should your listening platform allow. Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family, as well as on your social media accounts. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. Follow me on Parlor. My handle is at livingwithliberty. You can also email me. The address is ryan at livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. 
Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.